You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, honorary Newfoundlanders? Welcome to our third episode of Conversations from Away, a new podcast to encourage dialogue over social issues and topics that we don't speak on enough and are willing to get uncomfortable as a means to learn and grow together. My name is Aaron Michael Ray, and I'm a standby in the North American tour. And today we have some wonderful Come From Away family, as usual, joining us on this episode. So let's start with... James, do you mind introducing yourself? James Earl Jones II. Uh, I play Bob and others in the first national tour of Come From Away. And I am from and living in Chicago, Illinois. How about you, Miss Julie? Hi, my name's Julie Johnson. I play Beulah and others in Come From Away. And I am a native Texan, and I'm actually at my home in Texas right now. Dominic? Hi, I'm Dominic Barbaro. I'm the assistant company manager for the North American tour of Come From Away, and I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, California. And we also want to welcome a very special guest to our episode today. Based in Chicago, we want to give a warm welcome to Jay Rice. Jay is the communications and outreach coordinator for the Brave Space Alliance in Chicago and a DJ and activist. So Jay, we're going to talk more about what you do for the Brave Space Alliance a little later in the episode, but could you tell us where you're from and all the amazing work you're doing in Chicago? So I am born and raised in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, I live in South Shore in Chicago right now. Uh, yeah, I work for Brace Face Alliance. I've been working there since around April. Pronouns he, him, or they, them. And yeah, I don't, I don't like to call myself an activist because I don't think I have earned that type of title. I'm more like, you know, a protest uncle. Like, you know, I come in and make sure people got Gatorade and legal observers and stuff like that. But an activist, I, I don't, I have not earned the, the pleasure of being called that. So I'm more of a community coordinator. You know what? I'll take that. I will take community coordinator. So shout out to you because even just going to those protests and doing what you're doing is already doing something. So shout out to you. For today's episode, uh, we are going to be dis- discussing pride. Now, for most people, when they think of pride, they think of, you know, the big fun parades with lots of glitter, love, fun music, drag queens, and lots and lots of rainbows. But pride is more than just a fun day at a parade. In fact, pride wasn't a celebration in the first place. Originally, it all started at Stonewall in Greenwich Village in New York City on June 28, 1969, when the police raided the bar for serving queer people, which was illegal at the time. 
Soon after, that police raid sparked a six-day protest, and the first actual Pride Parade was on the year anniversary of those protests in 1970. Thus, the beginning of the Pride we all know. We owe so much of what we know and love about Pride to the trailblazing black and brown trans women who fought on the front lines for our LGBTQ plus rights, like Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha, along with Sylvia Rivera, founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, group, which housed the homeless and transgender youth. They created the first LGBT youth center in all of North America and was the first organization in America that was led by trans women of color. Now, I'm sure that there are people tuning into this episode who have never even been to a Pride festival or parade or event. So with that, I want to ask our guest, how would you describe a Pride parade, for example, to someone who has never been to Pride before? And why is it important to you? Um, I'm going to start with Jay. So do you want to know what Pride actually is? or what we hope for Pride to be? Which one do you want me to answer? I would say, how would you, more so how would you describe it to someone just, um, who hasn't been there before? And what does it mean to you? Pride is supposed to be a celebration of our gayness, right? Of all LGBTQ, uh, IA plus community members. It's supposed to be a day where we can be our loud and proud selves and not fear any sort of resentment or backlash from that. What Pride actually is, is a showcase of white queerness um and a different way for black people in that community to be oppressed um from our white counterparts that's what when i think of a pride parade that is what just quite frankly what i think of is a bunch of white gay men with their shirts off um waving around their privilege unfortunately <laughs> that's that's what i see um and, and that's not to say that it's still not celebratory and things like that but in the recent years especially in chicago uh, our Pride Parade has been taken over by people who do not belong in the community. It has been um, taken over by a lot of uh, performative allyship. Uh, so as long as I've been going to a Pride Parade, I've never felt completely welcomed there. So yes, on its surface, this is a time and a day for gay people of all walks of life to be as proud as they want to be and show that to each other. But in actuality, like I said, I've been going maybe for the past six years. Uh, it's just not a place that's super welcoming for people who look like me. Yeah, and that's, that is a very real answer. I'm so glad that you said that because, you know, we, that is one of the biggest, that can be one of the biggest issues of Pride. It's just that it tends to be severely whitewashed. And I think it's important to remember that Pride wasn't, it didn't start out with a bunch of, you know, white queer people having the privilege to really just be open and, you know, showcase who they really are. Um, it didn't start that way at all. And so it's, it's very interesting to have, I'm glad that you shared that perspective with us because I've always had certain uh, you know, some issues with pride, but at the end of the day, it's still a place where we can be queer and where we can uh, be who we really are. And sometimes there there are safer spaces than others, but in at the end of the day, it's still meant to be a place where all queer people can come together and just celebrate who we are. What about Dominic? What do you think? 
thank you for asking this question. I really appreciate what Jay said about it and the perspective that, that you bring, Jay, because as a white gay man, one of my favorite things about Pride is the fact that when you go, you see so many different kinds of people that may not necessarily always be in your day-to-day -day circle. I definitely am hyper aware of the spectrum of the LGBTQ community and the fact that white gay men tend to, you know, be at this moment in time and all of the activism work that's been done over the years, they kind of feel like, okay, check, we're done. You know, nothing else for us. We are good. We're happy. We're having fun at Pride. Our shirts are off. But over here, we have uh, our Black trans brothers and sisters that are still struggling every single day. I think it brings up a really important point of where where the party should end and where the activism should start, because intersectionality is so important. And I want to stand here and say, okay, as a white gay man and other white gay men, how do we use our privilege, which for me is my whiteness and my cis maleness, to help other people that, that need that assistance? And I think that's so important. But why pride is important for me is when I go, it truly is for one moment, everyone sheds all of the BS. It is just complete joy and fun and everyone is completely themselves. And that's not the same for everybody. Everybody is totally different. And it's just, uh, I just, I find that relieving to be in an environment like that. And my first one in New York was um, was a really memorable experience. And I'll always kind of like take that with me for the rest of my life. I missed it this year. And um, I think, Jay, what you said about performative allyship is also super important because I think over the years it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and there's been a lot of brands that attach themselves to it. And it's like the calendar changes to June 1st and it's like, all right, we're going to change our Facebook profile picture for insert company here to have a rainbow in the back. But right. when July 1st comes, don't expect to see that up there. So, you know, um, and that just, it feels like that gets more and more prevalent, like the more okay society is with pride. So I just want to say that I think that it's important that you said that. And, um, and yeah, um, I mean, I, I love it. I love a good party. I love to have fun. I love the joy that pride brings, but, there's still a lot of work to do, and us white gay men need to step up. Thank you for saying that, Dominic. James, have you been to a Pride Festival yourself? I have. Uh, I've actually been, I've been to a couple. I was at a Pride Parade in San Francisco, and it, it really did feel like a Cirque show. I guess that's... It's one of those things where, as Dominic was saying, yes, it's very celebratory and it's very joyful. Um, I guess I was I was also looking for like amidst the joy, like was there something else that was that was on display for people to learn from during the time? Uh, because I was in I was in San Francisco for a while, and uh, it just seemed like a party all the time. But I I, I don't know that I got anything from it, uh, as well as uh, being from the shy, uh, agreeing with Jay when uh when I've been to the Pride Parades there, um, I don't see a lot of um, black and brown faces. Or if you do see them, they are generally, 
I wouldn't ostracize may not be the word, but there's certainly this separation, right? It's like there is definitely like a huge group of of white people and like a very small group of black, brown faces, Asian faces. It's just it's very small. Um and it's it it did seem weird. Uh I also used to work for an ad agency, and so it was also kind of interesting to me how how gung-ho this particular client was like, we're gonna get a booth, we're gonna get a float, it's gonna be amazing. And they never talk about it after that month. So it's, it's, um, it feels like there's something uh, missing. But, um, but yeah, I, I see the joy. I see people having a good time. I just don't see a lot of black and brown people having a good time. Yeah, that's, that's a very real thing. Um, I love hearing your perspective, just being um, a heterosexual man, you know, going to the uh, Pride Festival from your perspective. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like every year, you know, there's, I either have the friends that are ready for Pride. They are like already in there you know, whatever they want to wear, the glitter, the tutu, or whatever they want to do. And, but there's no, there's either that group of friends who are ready to do that or the group who are saying, okay, but where are like, you know, the black pride parties? Or where are the, you know, the black areas to go here? And it it's so unfortunate that even on a day like a pride parade or during the whole pride month, you know, there's still that segregation within our community. And it's unfortunate that to this day, you know, there are still um, within the the umbrella that is the LGBTQIA plus community, there's still that discrimination between gay people and bisexual people or lesbian people and gay people or whatever it is. And it's so, it doesn't have to be that. And I think I think Pride has every intention to be all-inclusive, but I think what people need to understand is that it hasn't always been that way. And it's, in fact, rare if it's completely inclusive. What about you, Julie? Have you ever been to a Pride parade? Well, I was in college in the 80s and um, in a theater department, and yes, we attended with regularity because we were in uh, the state of Texas, which was uh, very unwelcoming and uh, um, horribly prejudiced, and I, I don't know how much it's actually changed. I think to a certain degree, there have been people who have changed their way of, of viewing the, uh, the uh, LGBT community, um, but we, I, I know from that time period, when we went, there was a feeling of freedom for, the, for two men, two women, to walk down the street holding hands, being being themselves, because they could be arrested for it under under normal circumstances. They could literally be arrested for that. And uh, so so to have the opportunity to put on the you know the cowboy boots and the tutu, which was a very popular costume in Texas, um, you know, and 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 go down the street screaming out, being being proud, being who you are, you know, that was that was a it was very risky at the time, but I just learned so much from listening to Jay about this, about about the situation and and what it feels like, you know, from from inside someone else's from from someone else's eyes, you know. 
than someone else's heart. So, but I, I have attended, I've even sung at several, uh, on the, you know, backs of, of, uh, uh, trailer, you know, the big trailers where they have the sound system set up and everything. I've sung at a few here in Dallas, so. I'm so glad that you had at least an experience of going, and especially in the 80s in Texas. Me being a Texan myself, I can can definitely attest to growing up gay in Texas, and that was not easy. Um, so I, I'm just glad that you have been an ally from the jump. So I really appreciate that. Um, now, as we know, there have been senseless killings of unarmed Black people by the police in this country longer than we've all been alive. But what people fail to recognize is the amount of violence and murders towards Black trans women as well. Marsha P. Johnson has protested against police brutality towards queer and Black people since 1966. Sound familiar? Unfortunately, history continues to repeat itself. According to the HRC, in 2019, there were at least 27 murders of trans and gender non-conforming people, mostly being Black trans women. A lot of these cases barely go reported, and the victims are too often misgendered on the reports about their deaths. If we want to say Black Lives Matter, we need to include all Black lives, not just cisgender folks. And with, with the constant erasure of Black and or LGBTQ plus stories in media and in the Broadway industry, it can be really hard to find an example of LGBTQ plus representation when we watch or go see our favorite shows and movies. Black and queer people were only presented as a stereotype of themselves and rarely seen as real people. But something I want to acknowledges what was with that being said i want to ask our panelists when did you first fully see a representation of yourself that made you feel seen in a show a movie a broadway show um anything and i'm very curious i want to ask each and every one of you um what that representation was let's start with james well there were two instances that i think um had very very different effects uh, on me, I guess. I grew up uh, as an only child loving to entertain, even though I wasn't sure that that's what I was gonna do with my life. And along came a highly inappropriate stand-up special called Eddie Murphy Delirious. Came out in 1984. I idolized Eddie and to see so many people on uh, in the audience who were uh, raving and loving this man in this red uh, leather jumpsuit was like everything for me. But in 1987, I saw Hollywood Shuffle uh, with Robert Townsend. And Robert Townsend did this film that I think if people see Hollywood Shuffle today, it will still absolutely relate to the black experience and what we are expected to portray in films and uh, on TV and on stage of just being called in, you know, for thug number one or pimp number two and how we are constantly um, discounted and demoralized and uh, asked to be as far back as possible and never be the lead, never be the person that that is featured. And it's it's a comedy, but it's really but it's really very truthful about how we as as blackters 
involve ourselves, audition what we sometimes think of ourselves, what others think of us. And I think that was, that was really kind of eye-opening to me, even though at that time, I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do with my life. Interesting. So what about you, Dominic? When did you feel that, when did you see a piece of art or something on TV or movie or show where you felt that you fully saw yourself represented? Oh, this is such a good question. Um, thank you for asking this because it, it's, it's so important, but um, I'm having a really hard time pinpointing an, an exact thing or, or a really special memory. Um, and I think part of that is because when you think of representation um, for, for queer people, the person you connect with on screen, unless it's extremely explicitly appropriated or stereotyped, you, you don't always know that the person you're connecting with, if that's even their story. Or Hollywood often portrays narratives where, especially in the 90s, um, where you would start seeing LGBT representation in movies and TV shows, but it usually, it, like it could have been a protagonist, but usually it was like the protagonist's best friend who, you know, was a decent person, but gay, but like you don't get a lot of screen time and, um, or maybe you're not on screen at all or might have like a line, but then you go away because we don't really want to talk about that yet. And to kind of feel how that's progressed over time, it's been a really slow, slow road, but you know, for me growing up, there's a lot of um, self-exploration and, and a really deeply personal journey that everybody goes through. And, and there's a lot of, at least for me, um, a lot of confusion, um, even a period of uh, self-loathing that's, that's hard to get over. And I feel like you really need to come to terms with yourself and get to that point of acceptance with yourself um, and then the next step, loving yourself and embracing yourself before then you look for your representation out there. Um, and because for me, like one thing that totally sticks out in my mind and, you know, whatever you say about it, I have lots of things to say about this now, but I remember when Brokeback Mountain came out, I think I was in middle school and that movie has issues, and especially now that I've gone, now that I'm cool with who I am, I now have representation problems with Brokeback Mountain because A, it's two white straight men playing <laughs> those parts in the movie. But say what you will about it, that movie was heavily marketed, um, and it was a gay story. I mean, I remember at the time, though, being so uncomfortable whenever anyone talked about it. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania and I remember like seeing things and just being very uncomfortable or like a family member would talk about it or say something bad about it and I would be nerve. I didn't really understand why though, but say what you will, that really paved the way for future representation in, in especially TV and film. Um, and in particular, I, I remember reading that the, the um, movie Milk um, in, I think it was 2008, does that sound right? Um, so, somewhere around there, I think I was like in, in early high school. I mean, I, I was not out, out at the time yet, but to have a film like that, that's such a historical 
necessity to tell in a mass media form. And it was just such a great film that now, like watching it again, I have a lot of appreciation for, but that film was specifically referenced like to being financially possible in a commercial way because of Brokeback Mountain, which is like mind blowing to me. And then now you see things like, oh my gosh, if I had Love, Simon <laughs> when I was in middle school, like, can you yeah. imagine growing up with that kind of representation in a, in a young adult lens that's geared toward young adults? Like, it, it's it's just a game changer. And so, so, yeah, for me, I can't pinpoint an exact thing. But now that I'm, like, through my journey and... I'm really good and proud with myself. I'm looking for um, representation so that the next generation doesn't have as hard of a time finding something and that they might be able to have an easier time growing up and coming out. Thank you for sharing that. What about you, Jay? First, I think something that resonated with me was something that was not explicitly supposed to be representation, which was living single. I think that... Queen Latifah's queer energy just shined through the screen, whether she was out or not. And something attracted me to that. You know what I mean? Also with, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank of all the characters, but um, the other characters were very queer adjacent, you know? And it was just something that no one really talked about when we talked about living single, but those were queer characters. And I will argue all day that a lot of those, there was at least three queer characters on living single. So there's that one. Um, there's also this show that a lot of people have never really heard about, and I saw a syndicated version of it, but only for a little bit, and it was a show where Jennifer Lewis was actually an open lesbian. It was a show called Courthouse. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that. Jennifer Lewis had the first open lesbian role on a show in 1995, I think, called Courthouse. It did not last very long, but she was out, she was open, she was powerful, and I love to see it. So there's that one that I kind of snuck up on me a few late nights in like syndicated television that no one ever talked about. We still don't talk about. But Jennifer Lewis is a lesbian pioneer. So let's <laughs> go ahead and put that out there. Um, there was also The Color Purple. Um, again, not really explicit, like, okay, these are Black lesbians. But that queerness that you saw through the relationships in Color Purple, like, Come on, especially if you read the book, we kind of, <laughs> that's a queer relationship that they had, that Celie had with, uh, again, I'm drawing a blank on the names, but then you kind of skip forward to shows like The L Word, which are super white, but that was like, oh, let's see, I'm showing my age now. So I was like freshman in high school, I think when I started learning what The L Word was, it was like one late night, I was watching Showtime and all of a sudden this show with like a bunch of white lesbians and I'm like, oh shit, like there's lesbians and they're kissing. And I, that, that is the first time that I got excited for saying something on TV. Going back and watching the L word now, it makes me cringe and I almost want to throw up, but it was nice to see that lesbian and queer woman representation on television, especially uh, queer trans masculine women. Um, of course, there's like Noah's Ark and stuff like that. Uh, but it wasn't until, like, I guess in retrospect recently, um, Lena Waif's episode of Master of None on Netflix, the Thanksgiving episode, that, that is another point in time where I'm like, damn, I feel seen because not only is this 
a person of color, a queer person of color, but this is a trans masculine person of color, a masculine off-center person of color who is on TV talking about how difficult it is to be black and gay. And those are just intersections that we don't see a lot. We see the white gay couple, we see the um, interracial gay couple a lot on television, but to see those intersections of being black and being gay and being part of the queer community, she did a great job of showing that. Um, so I, I, I love that one episode of Master of None on Netflix. Um, and if I had to pick one now, it would be P-Valley. I feel so seen in P-Valley. I don't know if you all have heard about that. It is about um, urban gymnasts or strippers, or some people call them. Uh, and you've got uh, Uncle Clifford, who is this like trans feminine character. But what I love about the show is that it does not harp on terminology and labels and things like that, which in the Black community, we tend to not harp on. So I love it. It's very digestible. So P-Valley is something I'm watching right now that I feel seen in. But yeah, it would have to be those more of the old school stuff that really was not explicitly like, hey, this is queer, this is Black and queer. But I could feel it through that energy and I can feel kind of the writer's intent through things like that. Okay. So what about you, Julie? Well, obviously, I was able to see myself on stages and in television shows my entire life. And uh, that's, that's a... Uh, that's a very sad thing that uh, that I'm the only person in this group of people right now who can say that. And uh, it is, hopefully, we are making some corrections, but I think the most important thing for someone who looks like me to do is to listen, believe people when they tell their stories, and ask if if there's anything you can do to help, ask it inside your heart and ask others, what, what can I do? So I, I think when it comes to representation for me, the reason why I wanted to ask each and every one of you is because I knew all of our answers would be different. I knew that, you know, Julie was probably going to say something along the lines of, you know, that there has been representation for her and for maybe someone like Dominic and James, I knew they wouldn't have the same story. And even me and James wouldn't have the same representation or me and Jay. And I, Dominic and I actually talked about this earlier today of how I kind of have like separate, I'm kind of like you, Jay. I feel like I have a lot of different representation kind of moments where I said, okay, this is like kind of a part of me here. I really, I feel a little bit seen here and I feel a little bit seen with this character from this show. Um, I think it, when I, the first, the second show I saw on Broadway was Porky and Bess. And that was the first time that I just saw black people on the main Broadway stage. And for being a Broadway actor, to me at the time, that was like, that was the pinnacle. That was the stage I wanted to be on. And it still is the stage I want to be on. And to see a completely Black cast of Tony-nominated and award-winning actors tell an amazing story, um, it, was, it was just mind-blowing. And that was the first time that I just felt like I was seen just from the Broadway perspective. I think another time I saw myself kind of representation, I think Moonlight is a great example. Moonlight was such a powerful film. Um, and that is really about like growing up as a black gay man and how, you know, in our community, 
it's not celebrated often at all. And it's in fact kind of rare if you are in a black, um, if you're in a black family and then someone comes out as queer in any way where someone would fully accept you. And, you know, with having all of the, in the black culture, a lot of our culture comes from the church. And so when you come out as queer and in church, they're saying, you know, that homosexuality is an abomination, you kind of, you're constantly conflicted with that. It can be really hard to accept yourself um, within the black community as a queer person because so much of our culture comes from the church. Um, but I think the one, I think the time I fully, fully saw myself um, on stage was uh, when I saw A Strange Loop off-Broadway last year. I think that was an incredible show. Uh, it's about the Black queer experience um, as a Black queer man. And every every person who, is, um, who isn't the lead usher, um, they represent different parts of your queerness. And so it was like I was watching like a million parts of my brain all being represented on stage. And that was monumental to me. So I think that was the first time I truly felt represent represented. But that was also last year. That was in 2019. And I just want to make it clear that, you know, you may, some, some people may have an easier opportunity to really see themselves in media or art or, um, you know, politics or just anything. And then some people, it's still harder to really find ourselves because it's because of the intersectionality that, you know, we talk about. And so that's why I wanted to ask each and every one of you that question. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Thankfully, LGBTQ plus representation is growing at a steady rate with Broadway and off-Broadway shows like Kinky Boots, Rent, A Strange Loop, The Boys in the Band, The Prom, The Color Purple, Fun Home, and Hed Hedwig and the Angry Inch. There's a great deal of rep representation that's inspiring and not hard to see on stage. On TV, we're seeing more and more representation from Pose, Sex Education, Legendary, The L Word, A Tale of Two Cities, Schitt's Creek, Noah's Ark, Will and Grace, Dear White People, Euphoria, Orange is the New Black, Hollywood, and so much more. Something I'm so grateful for are the amount of queer icons we now have to look up to. Uh, Billy Porter, Marsha P. Johnson, Pete Buttigieg, Laverne Cox, Angelica Ross, Lena Waithe, Ryan Murphy, Queen Latifah, Danica Roem, and so much more. But we also have a queer icon with us on this very episode. I'm looking at you, Jay Rice. So, <laughs> so Jay, to me, you are a queer icon because of the work that you do with the Brave Space Alliance in Chicago. Uh, can you tell us about what you do for this amazing organization and how you got involved? Yeah, uh, did not know I was a queer icon. Wow, uh, thank you for that. Uh, not really too fond of being in categorized with Pete, but you know, that's a whole nother talk we can get into later. What do I do at Brave Space? So I am the coordinator, soon to be director for community outreach and um, communications. 
So what I do specifically is kind of a little bit of everything, right? I am out there at fundraisers. I am out there at the different protests and actions that we sponsor and help out with. Um, I connect us with different people who are wanting to get involved with our different mutual aid programs, things like that. So I kind of do whatever needs to be done. And yeah, is that what you asked? I'm sorry, again, long day. You asked what I'm doing yeah. in patients, right? <laughs> So fine, but also, I mean, just I would love to just know, just so that our listeners know, what is the Brave Space Alliance and what yeah. do you, what is the organization itself? Yeah, so we are the first and only uh, Black-led, all-trans LGBTQ center on the south side of Chicago and also serving the west side of Chicago as well. Um, we have a very simple mission, which revolves around the liberation of Black and Brown trans individuals. Uh, and that shows up in the form of providing uh, equitable and culturally affirming resources. So not just your average, hey, we have resources, but resources that are gonna be culturally affirming uh, in ways that are gonna affirm different folks, especially black trans people. Uh, we have mutual aid programs, we have support groups. Right now we have our crisis pantry network, which kind of was birthed out of uh, the necessity out of COVID, but we've now made a permanent fixture in Brave Space. In the first three weeks, we fed over 15,000 people. And right now we're at over 75,000 people that we fed in the Chicagoland area. We are the only LGBTQ run um, food pantry in the Midwest uh, and independent food pantry. So we don't take, we, we don't have any sponsorships or anything for our food pantry. This is all 100% independent and donation-based food pantry. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're here to support the liberation of our people in whatever way is fit. Uh, but first and foremost, you know, at our root, we are an LGBTQ center. With that being said, LGBTQ centers thrive on in-person interactions, right? So we have had to be very innovative <laughs> with, with our approach of how we help the community right now during COVID. So that has shown up in a lot of different ways with giving support, uh, either resources, network support, me speaking at different protests and actions around the city. I think we've been involved in over 42 protests and actions around the city. Um, and when the racial uprisings first started, we actually opened up our doors on the South Side. We were one of the few centers on the South Side of Chicago that opened up our doors to protesters, to have a safe place, to recharge, um, be safe, all that sort of stuff. So we were right there in the trenches from day one, um, kind of hitting this COVID and these racial uprisings right in the face and meeting people on the ground uh, where it needs to be, which is why it, it really it really hits home when you talk about Marsha P and you talk about these trans activists who without them, there would be no pride. We forget that trans activists and queer black people have been at the forefront of every single civil rights movement that has ever existed, ever. So when we're talking about right now, the civil rights movement right now that's happening, the revolution that's happening right now, that is also being led by black and brown trans folks. So with that being said, as a LGBTQ center, we had there, there was no question, of course, we're gonna support these protests. Of course, we're gonna support these actions because it's our people out here leading these actions, leading these support. And even if that wasn't the case, we're for the liberation of all people. So therefore we had to step up. So we have boots on the ground uh, for folks. We are a resource for different um, organizations like Black Lives Matter Chicago and Good Kids Mad City here in Chicago. We are a resource for them to tap into as far as if they need medical supplies, networks to different medics or legal observers, things like that. We answer that call. Uh, we have a coat drive going on. We have, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna ramble off everything we're doing because <laughs> it's a lot. 
Um, we have our support groups. We have three main support groups. It's called um, Rose Petals. That's for our trans feminine folks and trans women. We have Boy Talk for our trans masculine folks and trans men. And we have Fluid as Fuck for people who don't kind of fit into either one of those. And they can show up in whatever the way they need to show up. Um, and those are virtual now, which has been amazing because we're able to reach people outside of Chicago who need that type of support. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I got everything, I think. I mean, regardless, I am just so glad that you are doing what you're doing for the Brave Space Alliance. Um, James, as we were planning for this episode, James, was he spoke so highly of you and was saying, you know, like the Brave Space Alliance is a really, really cool organization. Like at the, you know, when we didn't know if we were going to get you as a guest at the time, he was saying, we just need to shout this group out because, you know, this is like a really, really cool LGBTQ center, and especially if it's completely uh, black and brown trans led, I think that is amazing. And we don't see that enough. And that's why I'm just so happy to have you here because you're not only doing amazing work, but you, that's why to me, you are a queer icon because you're setting, you are trailblazing and setting a way for other people who are like you and like us to find a space, one space in this crazy world that we're in right now to just completely be ourselves. I love how you were talking about the rose petals and the boy talk and the fluid. Like, that is just so amazing to me. So thank you for just sharing that. And thank you for telling us about the Brace Space Alliance. At the end of each episode, we always shout out a Black-owned and Black organization that you should know about and or donate to. For this episode, we're going to shout out two. Uh, one which Jay has already spoken so highly about being the Braceface Alliance. Uh, we will definitely make sure to put all of the donation links and just the website info, info for people to get involved because obviously this organization is amazing. The other organization I wanted to shout out is the Black Trans Travel Fund located in New York City, founded in June of last year, 2019. The Black Trans Travel Fund mission states that the organization was developed for the purpose of providing Black transgender women with the financial resources needed to be able to self-determine and access safer alternatives to travel, where women feel less likely to experience verbal harassment or physical harm. This is an organization I have come across this summer and I've been looking forward to shouting them out on our podcast. So if you want to know more information on the Black Trans Travel Fund uh, and the Brave Space Alliance, we encourage you not only to check them out, but to donate to these amazing Black and trans-led organizations. We will provide all the donation links in our bio for this episode, so make sure you look out for that. Are there any last-minute things that you guys would want to add or anything you'd just like to say before we go? I guess I really want to piggyback, Erin, off of what you said about when we're talking about the murders of trans women and trans people. Whatever numbers that are being released, I mean, you have to multiply that almost by 20 because we are continuously misgendered throughout that. So killings of certain people may not be counted as a trans killing or a trans murder. And like you said, I, I think our main focus, especially being involved in protests and actions and marches and things like that, is we do have to remember that all Black lives matter. And until all Black lives matter, then all Black people cannot be liberated. Uh, so I really appreciate you kind of touching on that a bit uh, because we 
when it comes to trans murders, it is not that we are only being murdered by the police. We're being murdered by people that look like us. We're being murdered by people who aren't police. We're being murdered by a plethora of different types of civilians. Um, so that's a whole another issue, but I just always want to make sure that I pinpoint the numbers that we're hearing about trans deaths. They're inaccurate because we're misgendered so often. But a way that we are able to mitigate those deaths is by reallocating resources. And the best way to reallocate those resources is finding other organizations like Brave Space Alliance, finding organizations like us in your hometown and donating and donating to our sustainability campaign. So not just donating once, donating in a continuous, maybe monthly, weekly schedule so that we're able to reallocate resources so that we can stay alive. Amazing. Thank you so much for saying that. Yes to all of that. I can't express that enough. Before we go, I want to thank the amazing Jay Rice for joining us as a special guest on this episode and our Come From Away family, as always, for joining us as well. I'm in awe of the great work each of you are doing in your lives and your communities to further the Black Lives Matter movement. And just like Jay said, you know, we can't say Black Lives Matter until we include all Black lives. Uh, so thank you all for joining us on this episode and stay safe out there. Hey, honorary Newfoundlanders, thanks for tuning in to our third episode. A portion of our ad revenue will be going towards the Black Trans Travel Fund, as well as the Brave Space Alliance. We thank you so much for listening to this episode, and please tune in to our fourth episode, where we talk about housing discrimination and gentrification. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.